our um, reading from the seventh canto, chapter seven, starting in verse 43. Pilad is uh, speaking still to his classmates. And it's an interesting uh, uh, point to consider that it is sometimes said that Pilad Maharaj is the uh, it's, it's the first time we see total pure devotional service in the Bhagavatam. Now, you know, everyone can say, wait a second, what about uh, this pastime and that pastime? But you can see in, in these last verses of this chapter how he's speaking just pure bhakti, just love God. Um, don't, don't think of, don't worry about anything else. You know, it's really, uh, um, you know, from the beginning, he was, you know, strictly Krishna's pure devotee. Uh, okay, so we'll read a few verses up to 48, 43. A living entity desires comfort for his body and makes many plans for this purpose, but actually the body is the property of others. Indeed, the perishable body embraces the living entity and then leaves him aside. <laughs> That's interesting. Huh? You know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust as the... Uh, and Prabhupada is not at all uh, sentimental <coughs> in the purport. <clears throat> Everyone desires comfort for his body and tries to make a suitable situation for this purpose, forgetting that the body is meant to be either eaten by dogs, jackals, or moths, and, uh, and thus turned into useless stool, or is burnt and turned into ashes, or uh, goes back to the earth. And we waste our time in futile attempts to gain material possessions for the comfort of one body after another. Um, yeah. I can relate to this because uh, right now we are... Um, in, in our house where we where my wife and I live, oh, I, I have to put on the recording. Did I put on? I put on the recording. Yeah, uh, where uh, one devotee is moving in with us and taking the uh, the two rooms upstairs. So we so I'm moving <laughs> to what used to be my son's room, and and also we um, we had a a um, what is it called? <clears throat> we had pr uh, problems with mold in our basement, and so. Uh, we had to uh, get the whole basement, a whole do-over and, you know, new drywall and new painting and all that. So in the midst of both of those things together, we, we were trying to, cons you know, um, consolidate. And it's amazing. We've been in America, I guess, a little, about a little over 10 years. It's amazing how much we've accumulated. So many use, so many like things that seem useful at the time and are just sitting in the basement, you know, um, so if anyone need any desk or chairs or um, maybe even some bookcases, and you know, we're going we're, uh, to be letting them go. Um, but yeah, just so much stuff. Just, uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible how, especially in America, we are real collectors of stuff. And, you know, America is kind of interesting like that. I was thinking that today also that we still, of course, we don't really know the exact rate uh, numbers in India of COVID because it's impossible to know. But still America is, is in this interesting situation where it is the, uh, the has the worst number of cases of COVID and even, and, but right now 
being an affluent country, uh, you know, is opening up for the most part, whereas so many other places are still really, really suffering, especially with this present uh, variant. I was just talking to devotees in South Africa, and, you know, they're in lockdown. Devotees in Australia are in lockdown for two weeks. Um, uh, you know, and Australia was like the poster boy for dealing with COVID. Uh, so anyway, just, uh, just uh, you know, just following up on Prabhupada's purport here that, uh, that we futile attempt to gain material possessions for the comfort of one body after another. And gosh, I, I, my, you can't see it luckily, but the room that I'm in right now is a total mess because everything from the other room came down here and I still have to sort it out. And I have this really bad, uh, I have so many books. Oh my God, so many books. <laughs> okay, um, shall we carry on? All right, so text 44. Since the body itself is ultimately meant to become stool or earth. So right now, he's still preaching, um, you know, Gan or, or the, about renunciation of this world. In a few verses now, he'll shift more to uh, bhakti. But they're, they're connected because Gan and uh, having a, a, a clear idea of what the material world is really made of and, and not being overly attached to the material world can be a help kickstart our bhakti. Since the body itself is ultimately meant to become stool or earth, what is the meaning of the paraphernalia related to the body, such as wives, residents, wealth, children, relatives, servants, friends, kingdoms, treasuries, animals, and ministers? They are also temporary. What more can be said about this? Remember, he's speaking to brahmacharis, you know, young men, young boys. All this paraphernalia is very near and dear as long as the body exists. But as soon as the body is destroyed, all things related to the body are also finished. Therefore, actually, one has nothing to do with them. But because of ignorance, one accepts them as valuable. Compared to the ocean of eternal happiness, they are most insignificant. What is the use of such insignificant relationships for the eternal living being? My dear friends, O son of the Asuras, a living entity receives different types of bodies according to his previous fruit of activities. Thus he is seen to suffer with reference to his particular body in all conditions of life, beginning with the infusion into the womb. Please tell me, therefore, after full consideration, what is the living entity's actual interest in fruit of activities, which results in hardship and misery? So fruit of activities, again, means, you know, working for our own satisfaction without any sense of service to god 47 the living entity living entity who has received his present body because of his past root of activity his past karma may end the results of his actions in this life but this does not mean that he is liberated from the bondage to material bodies the living entity receives one type of body and by performing actions with that body he creates another Thus he transmigrates from one body to another through repeated birth and death because of his gross ignorance. And then text 48. The four principles of advancement in spiritual life, dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Dharma means doing religious activities for the purpose of gaining piety and some wealth in order to enjoy the senses. That's kama. And moksha is after getting frustrated and all that, seeking liberation. 
They all depend on the disposition of the Supreme Personality of God. Therefore, my dear friends, follow in the footsteps of devotees. Okay, so now he's shifting it to devotees. Without desire, fully depend upon the disposition of the Supreme Lord and worship him, the super soul, in devotional service. Prabhupada writes about uh, three or four sentences down. To take shelter of the lotus feet of Krishna means to act according to the rules and regulations of Bhagavata Dharma, devotional service. As far as economic development is concerned, we should discharge our occupational duties, but fully depend on the lotus feet of the Lord for the results. Karman evari karaste. Ma you have a right to perform your prescribed duty, but you are not entitled to the fruits of action. According to one's position, one should perform his duties, but the results one should but for the results one should fully depend upon depend upon Krishna. Das Thakur sings that only uh, that our only desire should be to perform the duties of Krishna consciousness. We should not be misled by the karma mimangsa philosophy, which concludes that if we work seriously, the results will come automatically. This is not a fact. The ultimate result depends upon the will of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In devotional service, therefore, the devotee completely depends upon the Lord and honestly performs his occupational duties. Therefore, Pallad Maharaj advised his friends, <clears throat> to depend completely on Krishna and worship him in devotional service. So this is, uh, so we do our duty. Um, we work uh, and we depend on Krishna. So there's different levels of consciousness that one can be active in this world or, or do their work. Um, one is the fruitive or the, you know, just, I'm working just so I can, you know, just all everything circling around me or my family and just, uh, you know, I want that bigger car. I want, the, you know, I have a starter house now. I want to move into a bigger house. Um, I want to, you know, go on really cool vacations and most importantly, uh, go on Instagram and send pictures back to everyone so that they're, they can see how much fun I'm having. <laughs> so that's the fruit of work that one does. Then there's the detached work where we do our duty and we leave the, res we, uh, yeah, we do our duty uh, without um, attachment to the results. The results come, they don't come. Um, we, you know, this is my duty and I do it. It's a very, it's something that I, you know, uh, we've talked about this before that, especially for those who have grew up or lived in India, um, you see this a lot less, but when I first moved to India in the 80s, um, you would see this with the older people who, you know, went through the partition and different challenges in India, that they very much had this just, like, even if they're not a devotee, this is my duty. I go to work. I do my job the best of my ability. Whatever comes, that's okay. I'm doing my duty. They don't quote the second line of that verse, Mafaleshu Kadachana. Because uh, karman evari kareste, you have the right to do your duty, but you're not should not be attached to the results. So 
The first person is attached. The second one is less attached or not attached. And then the third is the person who works in devotion. So detached work is a start. It's very dispassionate. It's not passionate, but, um, but the idea ultimately is to do one's work, to not be attached, but not just to be not attached to the results, but to leave the results up to Krishna. And Prabhupada quotes the Karma Mimansa philosophy that just says, if you do the right thing, if you do your work, um, you will get the result. But we know that um, that all isn't always the case. There's many, many people who work very, very hard and still don't, and still are, let's say, in poverty or don't get the happiness that they're seeking. And there's other people who don't work hard, but they come up with some idea and they get royalties for that the rest of their life. <laughs> and, you know, so it's not just that. One has to, but leaving the results up to Krishna also means understanding that we have our karma and the, um, uh, the result, the, that our karma will guide to some extent the success of a person. And I often find it interesting when you talk to someone, you know, and they'll say, oh, so-and-so, oh, they're very successful. What does that mean? They have a good job. They have a big house. And, you know, a devotee um, looks at things differently. That their success is how am I coming closer to Krishna? So in the, uh, <clears throat> in the 30th verse of the third chapter of the Gita, um, Krishna says that, therefore, O Arjuna, surrendering all your works unto me, with full knowledge of me, without desire for profit, with no claims to proprietorship, and free from lethargy, fight. So Krishna's ordering Arjuna to fight, but, uh, but he's also describing the consciousness in which Arjuna should perform his duty. So, you know, Arjuna was like, you know, he was, uh, um, you know, the equivalent of being in the armed forces today. Right, so that was his job to fight. So our job may not be to fight. Well, well maybe uh, one person on this is a, is a DOD member, but uh, on this call. But you know, people, we may be, you know, whatever, uh, being a doctor or a lawyer or, or uh, you know, uh, IT professional or whatever. So we apply it to our life. So Krishna's telling Arjuna to fight, or in other words, to do his duty, and then he's describing the consciousness in which he should do it. Uh, so without desires for profit and with no claims to proprietorship, that's indicating free from the mode of passion, right? And free from lethargy uh, is freedom from the mode of ignorance. So uh, there's certain kind of knowledge that where we understand we're not our body, right? And that's from coming from the mode of goodness. But full knowledge, as Krishna is describing in the Gita here, that's, that's beyond goodness. It's transcendental. It indicates knowledge of our relationship with Krishna. So when we are mayi sarmani karmani, if you know that verse 330, uh, surrendering all works to me, when that is added, then Arjuna's fighting in the goodness becomes bhakti yoga, becomes devotional service. So detached work in devotion for Krishna's pleasure. That's ultimately what Prahlad is uh, recommending here. Okay, so that was uh, verse 48. Any questions or comments or thoughts on that?
Um, yeah, I, I kind of have a comment slash question. Um, early on when I met Canari, um, we, we for those who don't know that that's his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes we'd drive around and we'd listen to these, um, you know, I guess they were like talking books. Uh, uh-huh. Books on tape. Or, or whatever it was. And one of the things I remember very early on was this part where it discusses, um, I can't remember where it was or what, but anyway, the discussion was talking about, it was basically informing us, like, karma is... The, the forces of karma that cause and effect are so complex they're they're totally beyond the human's ability to comprehend and and mm-hmm. I, I always felt like it was kind of important because I feel like a lot of times maybe a a pitfall or a trap if you get into this uh, philosophy would be that you could look at someone that was poor and automatically assume oh they must have been a bad soul Right in a previous life, and it was very important to me because, actually, of all things, when we were flying missions over Bahrain, and sometimes things would be slow, and the conversation would just turn into this weird stuff while we were doing this. Um, there was this one guy; he was a chief, so you know, higher ranked than us, and um, you know, he was very uh, devout Christian, and he would obviously read a lot, and he would talk about how um, Christianity had made a lot of inroads in India because a lot of the poorer people there had been turned off by Hinduism because it basically uh, insinuated that they had been damned from birth because of, of course, we know that that's a total misunderstanding, first of all, the caste system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I won't get into that. But anyway, the the point I was trying to make is... um, you see people that just seem so at their core devout. Like it's not something that just happened this life. Like it's, it's so ingrained Uh in them and maybe they don't have this material wealth or even the obvious opposite. And yet you look at some of these guys, for instance, on wall street who just seem rotten to the core and yet they could be (laughs) beyond, beyond wealthy. You know that they didn't just get rotten in this life. So <laughs> it it seems like in order to maintain the greater cosmos, sometimes Krishna places people in positions that would seem counterintuitive. To I think that's tr- that's true. Uh, by the way, it sounds like a very uh, romantic way to start your relationship with Kanari, driving around <laughs> listening to philosophy about karma. <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't sure. even know how that happened, but uh, well, it just shows. I think I was. She just realized I was interested in it, so we. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just it shows what a great devotee she is. Um, but yes, it, 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 they are, the it's true that the uh, the ways of karma are intricate. Just try to you know just you know each of us look in the mirror and think of man how, how's Krish, how would you know Krishna or his deputed deputies deal with me i've done this good thing and i've done that good thing but i did that bad thing i did that bad thing and then you know some days it's, it's a whole mixture of this and that you know like you know it's uh and then there's i'm uh, just teaching i'm teaching uh the nectar of devotion in um bangalore right now on friday nights and we're studying the uh the uh, Kleshagni, one of Krishna, one of the uh, 
um, results or, or characteristics of pure devotional service is uh, freedom from misery. And so there's a lot, there's quite a, a in-depth description about this because it goes into the intricacies of karma. And the point being that pure devotional service can wipe, wipe clean this very complicated um, idea of karma where there, we have our parabda karma, which means our manifest karma, this body, and, and you know, and, and as, as, as Dean is saying, you know, where we were born and, you know, how wealthy or not wealthy we are and the, you know, um, our education, all these things. That's, that's parabda karma. Then there's aparabda karma. A uh, means like the opposite, right? Unmanifest. And that's this big, like, you can imagine like this big, uh, well, the example I give is in, um, when devotees sometimes do uh, food relief, like during the tsunami in Chennai. And you can imagine, you know, they're making kitri, you know, rice and dal, and it's this huge, huge pot that you're using like a, like a oar for rowing a boat to stir it, right? So, so we have a huge pot of karma from so many different lives, unmanifest, unmanifest. And then when, when they, they kind of almost like percolate up to the, up to the top and they start becoming a, a uh, it's called um, uh, kuta, a, a, a small psychological inclination. And after we keep uh, developing that, it turns into a uh, material desire. And then we perform that bad activity. And then we get both parabda karma. We get some, we may, you know, like, for example, a person um, for 20 years is walking by uh, the bank on the way to work and they don't really notice much. But then one day they just start thinking, you know, gosh, if I could rob that bank, or when the Brinks truck comes into town, you know, uh, every Tuesday, if I could rob that bank, I could quit my job and I'd be on Easy Street the rest of my life. Right? Uh, but it's just this 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 psychological inclination that uh, just a small that's called kuta. But then you know we start thinking, you know, it may be possible. Then bija is you know you start noticing when the when the Brinks truck comes and how many you know. Uh, uh, guards there are and you, know, you start making a plan and then you actually do it and let's say you get caught so you get your parabda karma you're in jail and also you get more aparabda karma more unmanifest things that just go into that big kitri that big bat so the point being is not so much the detailed words but the idea that it, it's a very 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 entangling world that we are in with so many unmanifested karma, manifested karma, karma that's just about around the corner and all this. And bhakti, karmani nidahati kintu cha bhakti bhajam. Bhakti gradually uh, eradicates all of those. Beginning with the aparabda, that big vat, and then the kuta, the bija, and then even the prabha. So that's just a little further explanation to what your point, team, that it's very complicated. And I think your point is well taken that sometimes I find, because I've done um, book distribution all over in different parts of the, all over the world, well, all over America. I think um, in 47 states, I once counted. And you do find sometimes that the, 
less well-off people are often the more pious, more, you know, believers in God. You see this in India also. In the villages, you know, everyone believe, almost everyone believes in God, you know. Um, so, yes, what is, but we still, even, did you hear the word I use? Well-off. You know, um, it's, it's a, it is an interesting word. Um, and what does success mean? Because the person who has a lot of things in this world, um, that can, they can often be the causes of distress. You know, have you ever lost something and how much anxiety it is when you can't, you know, you think, you know, you think it got stolen or something like that, you know, uh, you know, the problem with having a brand new Ferrari is worrying about where you're going to park it. <laughs> and, you know, what if somebody backs into it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, uh, yeah. So, so not, you know, not that there's in the Nectar Devotion, Prabhupada writes in the preface that, you know, one can live without discomfort in this world and still be a great devotee. So you don't, being poor or being rich is not a, um, is ultimately not the consideration, right? The consideration is how much love you have. And, and you know, um, yeah. Because Krishna also says, Suchinam Shimitam Gehe, Yogo Brashto Vijayate, that uh, a pious yogi who doesn't reach full success in his next life can often take birth uh, either in a Brahmin family, a very spiritual family, or it says um, Suchinam uh, or Shimitam, that a wealthy family where they're not just thinking about money, money, money all the time, but if they're pious, they can use their spare time to think about spirituality. Right? Like I think if, if any of us on this call today won the lottery, now where you don't gamble, so you know you found the lottery ticket on the floor, on the ground somewhere, you picked it up, and you won, um, you might immediately retire, but it's not like you would just, you know, go to Bahama and sink, uh, sip um, non-alcoholic pina coladas the rest of your life, right? You would, uh, you would probably, you might retire, and then you'd say, well, okay, well, how can I serve Krishna more fully now? You see, so there is a, there is a difference there, right? After I buy that first Ferrari, no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, any other points on, on any other questions, comments? Uh, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. Um, I, I, I found it interesting, the purport of Srila Prabhupada, where he is trying to bridge the gap from where we are at to what Prahlad Maharaj is talking about. Because he is talking about pure devotion service. And... I found the purport to be a perfect bridge for us to cross over from where we are to that highest platform. That's a very nice way to look at it. Yes. He, he, he talks about work without, you know, he talks about basically like Nishkam Karma Yoga, but he brings it up to uh, Bhakti at the end. Yeah. And he warns us to not get into the, the Karma Mimangsa philosophy that basically, in other words, well, the Karma Mimangsa it basically, you don't need God because you just get whatever your karma is. You, 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 you're a pious person, you take care, you're going to be okay. But we, of course, add, especially because we're devotees, we add the Krishna factor, whereas a friend of mine used to say the blue boy factor. You know, uh, and that means we're dealing with a person. Um, and 
in relationship with a person is very different than just, you know, karma monks is almost like dealing with a machine. But Krishna, ultimately, the gopis, they pray the last verse of the Shikshastakam. Krishna, you can do with me whatever you want. You can uh, embrace me. You can handle me roughly. You know, I'm your servant. And so the devotee doesn't think, listen, I, I did so many good things. I deserve such karma. You know, good this or that. But the, that's not, the devotee thinks, uh, I'm trying to serve Krishna and whatever situation I'm in, I just want to be able to serve him. Um, rich or poor, uh, heaven or hell. Um, and, and what that means is that, that the devotee is the one person and, and I'm not saying Hari Krishna devotee, you know, anyone who's devoted to God, the devotee is the one person who can actually be peaceful because, um, in happiness or distress, they focus on Krishna. And if they're in distress, they think, oh, this could have been a lot worse. But Krishna is so kind, he's minimized my suffering. And therefore, he, he or she thinks of Krishna and takes shelter of Krishna in that way. So, yeah. Okay, shall we carry on? So we're not going far. I think we're going up two verses to verse 50. Or is it, no, 51 and 52, sorry. Okay, so 49. The Supreme Personality of God, Hari, and the, one of the names of Krishna, is the soul and the super soul of all living entities. Every living entity is a manifestation of his energy in terms of the living soul and the material body. Therefore, the Lord is the most dear, and he is the supreme controller. 50. If a demigod, demon, human being, yaksha, gandharva, or anyone within this universe renders service to the lotus feet of Mukunda, another name for Krishna, who can give liberation. He is actually situated in the most auspicious condition of life, exactly like us, uh, like the, the great souls, like Mahajanas, like Prahlad Maharaj. Now, 51 and 52. My dear friends, O sons of the demons, you cannot please the Supreme Personality of Godhead by becoming a perfect Brahmana, which is what many people think is like a goal, right, to become this at the top of the food chain in the caste system, as, uh, as Dean was mentioning. You can't please Krishna by becoming a demigod or a great saint. And again, in this sense, a sadhu is not a devotee, obviously, we're talking about. Or by becoming perfectly good in etiquette or vast learning. Now, there's nothing wrong with etiquette. There's nothing wrong with being a perfect brahmana. So we have to understand this very clearly at this point. None of these qualifications can awaken the pleasure of the Lord, nor by charity, but charity is good, nor by austerity, but austerity is good, not by sacrifice, or sacrifice is good, or cleanliness, or vows, one can satisfy the Lord. The Lord is pleased only if one has unflinching, unalloyed devotion to him. Without sincere devotional service, Everything else, all those other things, is, are simply a show. So all of these things are good. To be, have Brahminical qualities, or what to speak of being a demigod, or to be a saint, to really follow proper etiquette, to be so um, respectful to elders, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and to protect children and, and, and women and old people, et cetera. Um, all very good. To be vastly learned, is greatly helpful and to do charity, austerity, etc., etc. But they are 
they're not much to do with anything <clears throat> if you don't connect them with Krishna. Because it might mean that you get elevated in your next life into the heavenly planets. <laughs> That's a spiritual world, the heavenly planets. But shine punye marcha lokivishanti, we can come down to earth after we use up our piety. So these Vedic things are good if and when they're connected with Krishna. So we're a devotee and we're vastly learned, very good. We're a devotee and we have proper etiquette, excellent. We're a devotee and we give in charity, wonderful. We're a devotee who performs austerity, great. Because we're, we're adding the Krishna factor. We're putting, you know, there's so many zeros and we're adding the one. And, you know, if there's nine zeros and that becomes, you know, uh, one billion. You know, if you add the one at the very, and that one is Krishna. So Prabhupada writes, Prahlad Maharaj concludes that one can become perfect by serving the Supreme Lord sincerely by all means. Material elevation to the life as a Brahmana, demigod, rishi, which is another word for sage, and so on, are not causes for developing love of God. They're not the cause of bhakti, of prema. But if one sincerely engages in the service of the Lord, his Krishna consciousness is complete. And a little later, to develop unalloyed love for Krishna is the perfection of life. Other processes may be helpful, that's what we're saying, but if one does not develop his love for Krishna, these other processes are, now this is a very strong statement, are simply a waste of time. Hmm. So this is almost like a mini Nectar of Devotion lesson, that book, Nectar of Devotion, which gives clear understanding of what is bhakti and what is not bhakti. So, yeah. So we have to always connect everything, we try to connect everything in our life to Krishna. And that purifies those things and, and makes those things part of our journey back to Krishna. But if we become proud by doing so many of these other things, but we don't have bhakti, you know, what's the use? So this is a very beautiful verse or a set of verses that is describing just, uh, again, we have to understand when this was said. This was said in a time in the world when being a, Brahmana, what's speak of being a demigod, and all these other things, performing austerity, sacrifice. These were all held in the highest esteem. Today, we don't think so much about, you know, austerities. Although we, I, although we do know that, you know, to really become ex, expert at something in this world, one has to perform some austerities. And uh, if you ever follow sports, like the greatest... Uh, some of the greatest coaches, some people consider maybe John Wooden from UCLA. He passed away in his 90s. And he might have been one of the greatest coaches ever. And he really taught his, uh, they were college students, young people, um, that, you know, you have to uh, delay gratification and work really hard at, uh, you know, if you want to be a good basketball, in his, in his case, be a good basketball player. Of course, it probably helped that he had for three or four years um, the, probably the greatest oh, basketball yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, the greatest basketball player of all time, probably. <laughs> and like, you know, a foot taller than everybody else as well. 
but he, but you know, Kareem would always say, you know, that he learned a lot about life from John Wooden. So, um, so those things, yeah. But generally, you have to understand the culture of the Vedic culture that's spoken in. This is a, this is a, uh, these two verses are radical. They're basically saying all these things that society in general hold in the highest regard are useless if they don't include bhakti. So it's a, it's a very powerful statement by Pallad Maharaj. Very powerful. Uh, questions, comments on this? No? Okay. Uh, then we will continue up to 54. We're doing 54 and 55. 54. My dear friends, oh sons of demons, <laughs> everyone, including you, the yakshas and rakshashas, the unintelligent women, sudras and cowherd men, the birds, the lower animals, and the sinful living entities can revise his original eternal spiritual life and exist forever simply by accepting the principles of bhakti yoga. So again, in this culture, those were considered, you know, uh, not the birth of like a, you know, a, uh, a real great sage or something like that. But Pallad Maharaj said, who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, that all of them can revive their original Krishna consciousness uh, by accepting the principles of bhakti. And Prabhupada writes that the Lord is infallible in the material world because he is a supreme spiritual person. Similarly, the jivas who are part and parcel of the Lord can also become infallible. Although Prahlad's mother was in the conditioned state and was the wife of a demon, even yakshas, rakshashas, women, sutras, and even birds and other lower living entities can be elevated to the achuta gotra, the family of the supreme personality of God. That is the highest perfection. As Krishna never falls, that's the meaning of uh, uh, achuta, um, when we revive our spiritual consciousness, we never fall again to material existence. So there's, again, very strong statement that there's no material impediment to devotional service. There's no, it doesn't depend on our birth, doesn't depend even on our intellect, um, certainly not our good or lack of good looks. <laughs> None of those things. It's the sincerity of the heart in approaching Krishna in a mood of service that wins over everything. And, you know, based on our karma, we get this birth or we get that birth. And it, none of those uh, are ultimately impediments to bhakti. So you, we can read this, this verse in purport in that sense that it's glorifying the power of bhakti. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a uh, question? Yep. Um, especially in this day and age, uh, I've often wondered how, you know, sometimes these, these texts, they can seem, um, for lack of a better term, chauvinistic. Yeah, yeah, or misogynistic. Maybe that's not the right word, or, or chauvinistic. Maybe more so that, women are, are held as being um, of lesser material stature, at least, at the very least, right. than men. So how, how um, like I said, given this day and age where we're like hyper 
sensitive to ensuring equality almost to a fanatical point in my opinion does the movement or whatever you want to call it the, the how do you go about addressing that maybe it's, to someone who's who's brand new and comes from a western american perspective absolutely absolutely it's a great question um it's it's not it's not easy because you know even like uh i don't know if you ever done this if you if you ever really um spacing out on the internet and they they sometimes show like uh look at these um uh commercials from the 50s and 40s and 60s right and it yeah. they're totally um well, let's just at least call it paternalistic if 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 not worse right from a modern point of view <laughs> I, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen them you know like uh no i know exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. so so that wasn't that long ago you know <laughs> you know um it was uh, some of those things were in, within my lifetime i didn't notice them when i was at you know i was i was young when, but uh um but so all, all i'm saying is that that it's uh and as you're kind of pointing out because you keep on saying the present day and age that the um uh the male as the breadwinner and as the uh kind of the head of the household that's what they used to say right andy the head of the household right um that's to what, say father knows best yeah father knows that that was uh that was the uh the popular uh you know, and, and women's role was to be the house, the housewife, and the uh, and take care of the kids and all that. And and I think that that uh, was there, um, obviously, also in, in in the Vedic tradition for the most part. Um, now it's 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 interesting you say that because some people, one way to look at the Bhagavatam is that it it sometimes maintains that for lack of a better word, traditional viewpoint. And it sometimes totally flips it on its end because you get uh, things like the greatest devotees of all are not men. <laughs> They're the gopis. <laughs> Absolutely. The number one, you know, the top of the pile of the devotees are, it's not the men, it's, it's the gopis. Or you have um, some of the greatest prayers in the Bhagavatam are, are composed by Queen Kunti. Or you have Tropidi, who she has five, it's usually the other way around, but she has five husbands. <laughs> you know, so um, the Bhagavatam is very interesting and it, it's kind of a revolutionary book. Although you see here, you know, one uh, statement that, you know, you're, you're bringing up. But from the point of view of when, you know, when it was written, it was actually quite, quite amazingly revolutionary. Even, even this, you see a, uh, the whole Vedic tradition is to accept your father's authority, like fathers, like Andy said, father knows best, and and you you practically worship your parents. And here you have Maharaj telling his dad, you know, man, you are in Maya, <laughs> you're in total illusion. So, uh, <laughs> so that's just an interesting aside. Um, I think what we have to, the the challenge is that these are in the in the books that we read like you know like we're doing today and if a person doesn't um know the full con the full view of, of uh, the movement and etc then they might just you know open the book and close it and say whoa 
that's not from my cup of chai, right? Um, and at the same time, if one understands Prabhupada, he was revolutionary. Uh, he, he broke with the tradition. He once said, because traditionally only men lived in ashrams. You know, they had some um, um, ashrams for widows, you know, women at the end of their lives. But Prabhupada uh, once said that uh, I was successful when other, my god brothers and other people in India were not because I made this adjustment and I created ashrams for women. He actually said that. And he would often say that, yes, on a material level, these things are true, but he would tell his women disciples that on a spiritual level, uh, the, the, he, would, he was so elderly, he said the boys are as good as the girls, right? Um, so it's, uh, but you know, most people, we give them one of Prabhupada's books, they're not going to know those details, right? So it is tricky, and who knows what, what future generations will do uh, with those statements. But if we get a chance, we can... Um, and, and at the same time, our, you know, the, the, uh, our tradition does acknowledge there's differences. You know, uh, men, it's at least to this state, cannot get pregnant. You know, there are differences, and, and sometimes the present culture. So we're talking about two different things here, Dean. Dean, your, 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 your actual statement you said was how do people from the present culture relate to it? And so I, I touched upon that a little bit, but now getting back to just a, a, a greater understanding, uh, everyone is equal on the spiritual platform. There's no doubt about it. And uh, looks like we only have one woman on the call right now. And, you know, she may be a man in, in her next life and we may all be women. You know, it's a temporary designation like that. It, it's not uh, who we really are. So on the spiritual level, Vidya Vinaya Sampane Bhamane Kavi Hastini Suni Chaiva Sapakecha Pandita Samadarshina. That the Pandit, the real wise person, sees Samadarshina with equal vision. Um, uh, not only different genders, but even different species because knows that there's Krishna in their hearts. Um, so, and at the same time, you know, we don't embrace a uh, tiger, even though we know that, you know, they're a spirit soul. And similarly, uh, most of the people on this call don't just say, well, I'm not this body. I can use the woman's bathroom. You know, we, 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 we acknowledge that there's, uh, that there's differences. So in our society, I think, it's kind of nice to encourage both that there's ladies who would prefer to have the kind of air quotes, traditional roles. Fine. Great. You know, uh, that's wonderful. And if we have ladies who feel a, a calling and an ability to have leadership roles. Great. No, I don't, I don't think we should have uh, we should have opinions about either put either down. Um, and we also know that so many faiths, struggle with this <laughs> with the gender issue you know uh, actually you know is uh, krishna consciousness is much more liberal than in a lot of ways than say the catholic church which is the biggest and longest lasting uh, religious institution in the world like they still don't have um uh, women uh, priests right um so it's a it's a big topic uh the you know uh i remember 
and this must have been like in the 1980s. I don't know how I was having this conversation with my brother, who's six years older than me. And he just said, he said, the number one major change in the world in this uh, century will be, you know, we still have 20 years left, right? Will be the position of women. You know, because just think, 1920 is the year that women were allowed to vote. <laughs> that's, that's only 100 years ago. <laughs> so, so more America in the, you know, the history of America, there's been more time when women couldn't vote than when they could. So, um, so yeah, we're, I, I think we're, we're, we, we sometimes struggle with that. And there's some devotees who really want to emphasize more the traditional role. And then there's others who want to um, um, emphasize more the, uh, whatever word we want to use, dynamic role or, or egalitarian role. And I think, you know, just uh, leave it up to them. <laughs> Is that all right, Dean? Yeah. Um, and I'll also say that there's something kind of, um, when we look back at those old commercials, for instance, with kind of like, well, you can also argue that when you, when you look at those with condescension, don't get me wrong, some of those ads are a little bit over the top or the old TV stuff. But right. at the same time, if you look at the roles uh, in and of themselves from that perspective, you can also say, well, where is it written that taking care of the home is somehow beneath exactly holding the power position in some corporation or, or something and exactly exactly you know, there's a lot of like economic evidence and um you know uh family dynamic evidence you can use to argue that you know that division of roles worked pretty good or works pretty good in a lot of cases and yes as if you look at yourself more cosmically I, I think this is why i've noticed this with you know canary's family like there's no the women kind of if we have a big gathering it's they, they're all gather in the kitchen and do their stuff of course we help and whatnot but there's no like friction there, there there's no and it's i think the western perspective where this life is the beginning and the end it, it would create this anxiety of needing to carry you know achieve something in the, yeah in in this 80 years or whatever it is whereas if you look at things more cosmically like well who knows what i could be in the next this is just my dharma in this life mm -hmm. and let me uh you know carry that out yeah um Abs no absolutely and they you, make no mistake i definitely think there should be like the opportunity of women to do all this stuff too but there's also this part of me that as time goes by, it's like just maybe sometimes this, there's some harmony that can be created within these roles uh, sometimes. Yeah. And, and, you know, motherhood should be always viewed at, and wifehood as a very uh, noble uh, occupation. You know, the, the hand that uh, rocks the cradle rules the world. Or as Prabhupada says, the, the mother is the first guru. Actually, Shastra says that. And so much um, of, uh, so like in, in, in my case, my, my wife, when she, uh, when we, when Gopinath was born, she took off five years from her, she was a teacher, from her occupation, just to take care of him, five years. Uh, and, I, you know, she, she, you know, 
I think uh, that was, if Gopinath has any good qualities, it's probably because of that. <laughs> you know, having a good nurturing mother around during those uh, formative years. Yeah. So that's why I try to say, um, you know, we can maybe encourage both and just leave it up to the person's, uh, you know, uh, inclination. You're going to say something, Andy? Yeah. Um, Dean asked about the beginner. I don't think the beginner should get hung up on something like this because look at the Sanskrit. Uh, Prabhupada is translating and it says women. So he has to write that because yeah. that's what it says. But a beginner does not have the perspective. I think they need to wait and get their perspective that you get when you look at things, get the longer view. Holistically. Because things have been changing. I mean, where when, when Prabhupada was coming up, if you said I chant 16 rounds a day, they'd say, okay, great. But they're not impressed. That was nothing. Because of his authority, he made a rule. It used to be you weren't doing anything unless you 256 rounds. <laughs> 64 now, at least, yeah. <laughs> or 64. Now I'm impressed with your piety. But 16, okay, not bad. It was nothing. But the world has been changing. And uh, a lot yeah. of these things have been changing. And, and the Bhagavatam is referencing a time when people would sit for 200 years, sometimes underwater, and do austerities. <laughs> so that's what he's translating, that story. So in terms of today's world, things, a lot of things have been changing. And we hear, of course, a lot about Radha now. <laughs> she actually controls God. That is where we're at, doctrinally. <laughs> so when you put this all in perspective, the beginner should not trip over this, especially a female beginner. That's my opinion. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Mom, I think you wanted to say something. Hare Krishna. Yes, so I guess another thing from another thing to note from the material perspective is like uh, as societies uh, formed and developed, uh, you know, the man's role was pretty much to work in the fields, dig canals, bring water to the fields, go out in the forest, collect firewood, go to the mines. Mm. And, and, you know, women's labor was mostly home-related tasks. So, you know, that's how things have sort of evolved. And, <laughs> and I would say over the last 30, 40 years, we've had, you know, uh, increase in this white-collar professions, namely because of the computer technology. Yeah. And if it hadn't been for that, you know, even in the 50s and 60s, Working in the factories, it was probably 90, 95% men because, you know, the hard labor versus, say, soft labor. I mean, both men and women, they really had to, you know, they, as they say, work their rear end off no matter what. But women were on the sort of on the home front and men were on the like outside the home. That's from a material perspective, not even talking about spiritually or like spiritually in, I think, uh, in verse chapter 3, verse 25, 26, Krishna says that according to our abilities, everybody should work. Right. But then uh, the role of the jnani is to develop the nishkam bhava. And then later on in uh, verse 30, he says, uh, surrender everything unto me. So initially Krishna says develop the Nishkam Bhav or at least first step is everybody should be put to work according to their abilities and then he brings it one level up to Nishkam Bhav and then 
in verse 30 he says okay surrender it unto me yeah well you brought up some really good you know historical situations that just the way kali yuga has progressed it, things are all topsy-turvy <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 you know and uh so therefore we just try to and there, and therefore, Prahlad Maharaj's advice here is better, is more pertinent than practically ever, mm. right? In the sense that whatever it is, whatever women choose to be their role in society and, and this and that, the main thing is to develop your devotion for Krishna. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because it's all, it's all, you're right, it's so topsy, topsy-turvy. And I, I like that analysis that we're in the information um uh, professions are so much uh, greater than they were in the past. I mean, I'm sitting, I'm getting, I'm doing my work, and I'm sitting in front of a computer all day long. <laughs> all day long. And I'm sure Raghunandan Prabhu is doing the same thing, and and uh, and a lot of the other devotees on this call. You know, um, not Gurudas; he's a teacher. He can't do it as much, but uh, you know, it, it's uh, yeah. It, and it, you're right; technology has fueled that a lot. And and what can you do? We kind of have to go with. Therefore, therefore, the essence is is so important to always keep in the forefront. And so one, there's one description that devotees are essence seekers. Uh, Raghunanda Prabhu, you have your hand up. Yes, Prabhu. Very nice perspectives by Dean and Andy. Thank you so much for sharing them. So to build upon what uh, Andy was saying, uh, the regarding the beginners. That's, that is exactly the reason why we are encouraged to hear from senior devotees and a guru so that our conceptions are set correctly or if we carry some misconceptions that can be clarified, especially with respect to some controversial statements like this. And in addition to that, uh, the scriptures also say that women are more pious than men. Right, And then um, also there are instances that we see in our scriptures like Ramayana, Mahabharata, where women have been held in high esteem for their understanding of what is the correct dharma. So Sita, in the case of Lord Ram's wife, uh, she, she knew exactly what is right, what is wrong, what should be done, what should not be done. And she was in a position to even advise Ram in many circumstances on how he should conduct himself properly. Mm-hmm. And the same thing we see in the case of Draupadi. It, it was not like they, they, they were um, uh, not allowed any freedom or not allowed to express their opinions or viewpoints but we see from these personalities that they were doing that so we have to see these controversial statements in light of those personalities yeah Jopati was very fiery person yep she, uh, very much so thank you okay let's go on to the next and last verse of this chapter and uh, welcome to Rupesh, Hare Krishna. So, in this material world, to render service to the lotus feet of Govinda, the cause of all causes, and to see him everywhere is the only goal of life. This much alone is the ultimate goal of human life, as explained by all the revealed scriptures. So this is really 
talk about the essence, right? So that's the only goal of life. You know, it's not to become rich. It's not to become famous. It's not to become a scholar. It's not to, whatever. The goal of life is to render service and love God. And in the beginning of the purport, in this verse, the words Sarvatra Tad Ikshanam describe the highest perfection of devotional service in which one is sees everything with reference to Govinda's activities or Krishna's activities. A highly elevated devotee never sees anything unrelated to Govinda. So that's, that is something we, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? If we, a highly elevated devotee never sees anything unrelated to Krishna or to put it in the positive, sees everything related to Govinda. And then Prabhupada gives an uh, example of that at, towards the end of the purport. He says that just as those who are greedy see everything as a source of money-making, and those who are lusty see everything as being conducive to sex, the most perfect devotee, Prahlad Maharaj, see, saw Narayan, or Govinda, even within the stone column. So, uh, that would be, that is the... Uh, yeah, that's what we're aiming for, to see Krishna's uh, everywhere. And this verse is just showing the level of pure devotional service that Prahlad Maharaj is, uh, is on. Yeah. So if we start now the 18th chapter, or the 8th chapter, rather, um, Narada Muni continues, all the sons of the demons appreciated the transcendental instructions of Prahlad Maharaj and took them very seriously. They rejected the materialistic instructions given by their teachers, Sunda and Amarpa. Purport. This is the effect of the preaching of a pure devotee like Prahlad Maharaj. A devotee is qualified. If a devotee is qualified, sincere, and serious about Krishna consciousness, and if he follows the instructions of a bona fide spiritual master, as Prahlad Maharaj did when preaching the instructions he had received from Narada, his preaching will be effective. Uh, and then there's one sentence after the Sanskrit there. If one tries to understand the discourses given by the sat, or pure devotees, those instructions will be very pleasing to the ear and appealing to the heart. So there's, there's a certain shakti. Um, shakti means energy, spiritual devotional energy given by Krishna to the devotee when the devotee tries to encourage others to learn about Krishna. So obviously, Pilad Maharaj was super effective. <laughs> all of his son, all of his school friends who, you know, if we go by birth, they were all born of, you know, uh, demons, we say, or asuras, uh, but they, they, they all, you know, lack of a better word, were converted or took up Krishna consciousness. Hmm? So this takes some empowerment. This is a uh, from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. The translation is, I wish the grace of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, by whose mercy even one who has fallen can describe the pastimes of the Lord. And in the purport, Prabhupada says, to describe Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu or Lord Sri Krishna, one needs supernatural power, which is the grace and mercy of the Lord. Without this grace and mercy, one cannot compose transcendental literature. So it's interesting here, because Prabhupada's talking about 
Krishnadas Kaviraju Swami, the author of Chaitanya Charitamrita, which uh, who spoke the verse that I read. But he, I think it's also autobiographical. Um, Prabhupada talking about himself. By dint of the grace of the Lord, however, even one who is unfit for a literary career can describe wonderful transcendental topics. Descript, and that, that was one of the most appealing things. Prabhupada was so humble about his writing, saying, well, you know, I'm not a very good writer, and, um, but Krishna helped. Mm-hmm. Description of Krishna is possible for one who is empowered by Krishna. Who is empowered. Krishna Shakti Vina Nahe Tara Paratana. This was, uh, I think you know this now, this was a verse spoken by um, Balabacharya when he saw Lord Chaitanya. Unless endowed with the mercy of the Lord, one cannot preach of the Lord's name, fame, qualities, form, entourage, etc. It should be concluded, therefore, that the writing of Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita by Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami manifests specific mercy bestowed upon the author. Although he thought of himself as the most fallen, we should not consider him the most fallen because he describes himself as such. Rather, anyone who is able to compose such transcendental literature is our esteemed master. So one more point about this empowerment. This is from another uh, purport in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Parashya Shaktir Vividhaya Suyate. The Supreme Lord has multi-potencies, which the Lord bestows on his fortunate devotees. And this, the Lord has a special potency by which he spreads the Krishna consciousness movement. This is explained in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Kali Kalera Dharma Krishna Nam Sankirtana. Krishna Shakti Vina Nahi Tara Pravartan. One cannot spread the holy name of Krishna without being specifically empowered by Lord Krishna. A devotee who receives this power from the Lord must be considered very fortunate. The Krishna conscious movement is spreading to enlighten people about their real position, their original relationship with Krishna. One requires Krishna's special power in order to be able to do this. People forgot forget their relationship with Krishna and work under the spell of Maya life after life, transmigrating from one body to another. This is the process of material existence. The Supreme Lord Sri Krishna personally descends to teach people that their position in the material world is a mistaken one. The Lord again comes as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to induce people to take to Krishna consciousness. The Lord also empowers a special devotee to teach people their constitutional position. So um, it's picking up on this point that Prabhupada is making here in the purport. And then when he's talking about um, the, the activities of a great devotee, he, he says that we hear their instructions that are pleasing to the ear and appealing to the heart. Pleasing to the ear and appealing to the heart. So that is talks about Krishna, Krishna Kata. So some uh, questions, comments, thoughts on this? And I think we, we, we experience this um, when we try to explain some, something to other people about Krishna. And sometimes, uh, I know so many devotees who have had the experience that they they say things that came out so nicely 
And they're like, they don't even, where did that come from? You know, it was almost like, you know, Krishna was using us as a, he Krishna's the puppeteer. And, uh, you know, you just get this experience and somebody says, wow, that was really helpful. And you're kind of like, did I say that? <laughs> you know, um, because it was at least a little taste of Krishna Shakti Vinanahe Tara Parvartana. Like that. Hmm. I know uh, I, it, it, uh, um, many devotees have told me they've had that experience. So many have that experience. Uh, any other any other points on this? If not, we will go up to verse number six. Okay, so reading verse number two. When Sunda and Amarka, the sons of Sukracharya, observed that all the students, the sons of the demons, um, were becoming advanced in Krishna consciousness because of the association of Pallad Maharaj, they were afraid. They approached the king of the demons and described the situation as it was. When Hirani Kashipu understood the entire situation, he was extremely angry, so much so that his body trembled. Thus, he finally decided to kill his son, Prahlad. Hirani Kashipu was by nature very cruel, and feeling insulted, he began hissing like a snake, trampled upon by someone's foot. His son, Prahlad, was peaceful, mild, and gentle. His senses were under control, and he stood before Hirani Kashipu with folded hands. According to Prahlad's age and behavior, he was not to be chastised, yet with staring, yet with staring crooked eyes, Hiranyakashipu rebuked him with the following harsh words. Text 5. Hiranyakashipu said, Oh, most impudent, most unintelligent disruptor of the family, oh, lowest of mankind, you have violated my power to rule you, and therefore you are an obstinate fool. Today I shall send you to the place of Yamaraj. means to, I'm going to kill you. Hmm. My son, Prahlad, you rascal. You know that when I am angry, all the planets of the three worlds tremble, along with their chief rulers. By whose power has a rascal like you become so impudent that you appear fearless and overstep my power to rule you? Purport. In the first uh, paragraph. The relationship between a pure devotee and the Supreme Personality of God is extremely relishable. A devotee never claims to be very powerful himself. Instead, he fully surrenders to the lotus feet of Krishna, being confident that in all dangerous conditions, Krishna will protect his devotee. Krishna himself says in Bhagavad Gita, Kunteya pratijanihi name bhakta pranashati. O son of Kunti, declare boldly that my devotee never perishes. The Lord requested Arjuna to declare this instead of declaring it himself because sometimes Krishna changes his views and therefore people might not believe him. Thus Krishna asked Arjuna to declare that a devotee of the Lord is never perished. So I like this first sentence very nice. The relationship between a devotee and Krishna is extremely relishable. Extremely relishable. Um, and the devotee doesn't claim to be powerful himself, but they're, they're plugged into the supreme power. So they may have power. And then this last statement, I think we're familiar with this, but it's very, it's very endearing that Krishna, sometimes he breaks the rules. But whenever he breaks the rules, he only does it for one reason. And that is out of affection for his devotees. That's the only time he breaks the rules. So 
dancing with the gopis at night, you know, out of, out of it reciprocating with their intense love. Uh, charging Bhishma with the wheel, uh, where he said he wasn't going to partake in the uh, battle of Kurukshetra. That was to protect Arjuna, his devotee. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, Krishna recognizes, therefore he said, Konteya, it's a name for Arjuna. He said, Konteya, you, you tell the world that, that my devotee never perishes because people may not always believe me. <laughs> He's saying in a loving kind of joking way, uh, you know, but the devotee, you know, the Paka devotee follows very strictly. So you say it, you say it. So it was a very sweet kind of uh, exchange there between uh, Krishna and Arjuna. So uh, some thoughts, questions, comments? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Prabhu. The way our Hiranyakashipu is describing Prahlad, it's uh, 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 as good as he is describing himself. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it's basically saying you most unintelligent disruptor of the family, lowest of mankind and all those things, it fits him perfectly. Well, you know, if you point one finger at somebody, you're pointing three at yourself, right? So, yeah, <laughs> that's a very good observation. That's a very sweet observation. Yeah, nice. Yeah, other comments or questions or thoughts about this? It's very extreme. to want to kill your child. It's very extreme. The other thing that I noticed in the statement of Hiranyakashipu is he's thinking and speaking only in terms of his power and rule over his own child. He's not seeing him as his son, child or anything. He's basically thinking in terms of dominating, overpowering other living beings, including his son. Yeah, that's his mindset. And and for for good reason in the sense that he had that power over almost everybody except for his own son. Everyone else so fearless, uh, fearful, and Prahlad wasn't. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not that unheard of. I mean, how many Roman emperors, you know, they became so paranoid that they would eradicate or kill their kids. I mean, it wasn't that unusual, especially near the end when it's like it was almost like a death sentence to become a Roman emperor, and it became pretty much standard operating procedure that the second you achieved that title, you would wipe out everyone close to you to make sure that they don't, um, you know, don't try to be the next guy to. What a uh, what a consciousness! Or, yeah, well, what a fear based uh, a fear based way of living. <laughs> And yet, like some of the most highly esteemed Roman emperors did that. Uh, not just Romans either. I mean, Peter the Great was yeah. a hero in Russia. He was pretty awful to his one son there. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. And then what to speak of people who took out millions of their own countrymen, Stalin, yeah, Pol Pot. Which is why it's so perplexing to me that there's almost this movement to revive uh, communism and whatnot um, amongst far left. And it's like, this is your answer to racism? I mean, have you ever <laughs> read like any history? I, I <laughs> yeah, it's quite a thing. Or also, to, un- 
uh, two years ago, yes, when the uh, uh, Saudi the new prince took over, he uh, put a lot of his own relatives under house arrest and eliminated some of them. So it's you know still here with us. <laughs> yeah. So they haven't read Pallad Maharaj's teachings about not thinking in terms of friends and enemies. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess there's quite a bit of fear, you know. Imagine having, you know, going up in society enough that you have a bodyguard. Like, you know, that must be a lot of, you know, anxiety to have bodyguards, you know, to, yeah. Um, it has to be really a personal hell. Uh, yes. You've achieved the highest status, but really, like, you know, you're this anxious. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, well, it's pretty I want to be, I want to be number one. Yeah. <laughs> but the Everybody problem is, should. so many other people want to be number one, and we're afraid of that, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's different than at least in the real Ram Raj, you know, in the real when when there was really a ruler that everyone loved. Um. It was such, you know, could you imagine if you actually had a really great leader who everyone loved um, and was only concerned about the praja, the, the, uh, the citizens. Yeah, it would be, it would be heavenly. If, if, you mad, if you really felt the government was totally on your side and you felt safe because the government would, deal with miscreants very strongly, you, you know, um, and you happily pay your taxes. You don't like, ah, taxes, oh my God. You know. But, you know, you just give, what is it, 25% is the one that the Vedic times? It's, it's hard to imagine having a ruler like Lord Ram, considering many of the rulers that we have today. Is that what taxes were back then, around 25%? I think 25% across the board. Is that right, Raghunanda Prabhu? Is that what your understanding is? Which one, Prabhu? The taxes were 25% across the board? Yeah. yeah. Or was it one-sixth? The one-sixth, I think, was the karma. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you didn't have to get out a calculator and spend, you know, uh, hire a H&R uh, block. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it was... Uh, but the point was, the, the point, though, um, Dean, is, and Prabhupada mentions this a lot, is the citizens felt they were getting much more than their money's worth. Mm -hmm. They felt that the government was giving them much more than, so they happily paid their taxes. Yeah, so uh, when Kenari and I uh, traveled around um, Scandinavia, what was it, a couple years ago? I don't know, but um, I can say particularly in Denmark, obviously their tax rates are really high there. Super high, yeah. At no point did you come across someone that complained about it. In fact, quite the opposite. They were happy to do it. Um, I don't want to get into discussion of economics. Yeah, yeah, socialism. Why that could yeah. be a, a, a short-term happiness. But anyway, that's definitely a thing, you know? Yes. Well, that is nice. And that is nice because that is what, you know, probably, she'll probably spoke about that a few times that, you know, the citizens felt were, were had no problem paying their taxes. Yeah. Any other points on this? Like, Gurdas? Were you saying something? No? Mm -hmm. I, I, I just like that point that was brought up about 
people not paying attention to history. That's something I've often wondered so much about how, how, how we can go through uh, different periods in the world and then just not realize that this has happened before. This uh, is what? This has happened before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This has happened Yes. It's yeah. Like, like, you know, we, we're, we're required to take history classes. <laughs> we read history, but then, uh, then it's like, even with all the warning signs, they, you know, keep happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if Prabhupada talks about that, uh, the first class person learns by hearing. Right, uh, right. Um, you know, you you touch the uh, you touch the hot stove, and you're gonna get you're gonna burn your hand. So they they just they learn. Okay, I'm not gonna do that, right? Because they just heard about it. But uh, less intelligent is you actually have to. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe true or not true. Let me test it out. Ah, <laughs> you know. Um, learn by experience, and then the third class person, I think, is doesn't learn by experience even. So he has to go through it again. Yeah, has to go through it again. Doesn't learn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, I think it's it's kind of a it, it's a very dangerous, weird time. It's devolved even in my short lifetime where it's it's everything seems to these days to be completely emotion based. And and I think that our means of uh, communication now have have really assisted this so-called advances that we have. It may be neat tinker toys, but the all the net effect has resulted in a com- complete degradation of intellectualism or, or discourse, where you're limited to what is it, 140 characters to Twitter to make a point. So everything just becomes this this shouting match and it's like we're entering this period now where your your level of outrage is is equated to your level of correctness if that makes any sense uh, yeah 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 um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. i mean even when you talk about like I think there's a lot of frightening stuff going on with, with cancel culture and, and whatnot, where we're throwing the the baby out with the bathwater and, you know, young people vary uh, against like, for instance, the, the founding of the, of the United States and these things that happened. And we'll look at this and look at that. We'll, we'll look at the entire history of the world. I mean, how do you not cancel the entire history of the <laughs> world? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, there were a lot of flaws, for instance, with the U.S. Constitution. But if you look at it within the context of history, it was a huge improvement. And not only that, it, it, it laid the, the the foundation down for those for future improvements to be made as far as civil rights and stuff like that. Um, and yet there are these people running around the streets with hammers and sickles wanting to completely disrupt the order and it's like you guys need to get get in get into your history books a little bit because what you're be, you know be careful what you ask for and it's been really tried and it doesn't work too well doesn't work out real well and therefore from a devotee's point of view if you really study the history you just know as Prabhupada said um my grandfather died 
my father died. The would-be children of my children will also die in due course. Everyone dies. <laughs> uh, and therefore, I think if you, a real deep, deep study of, of history and, and of life is, you know, um, I really should develop my, uh, my relationship with God. As the, uh, yeah, as the, exactly, as and, and even even my diatribe, it, it what's the what's the core root? It's fear. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm fear that's fear that you know, Canary and I have a good state, and what radical group is going to disrupt that? So yeah. even my own yeah. is fear, right? So and taking shelter of Krishna makes one fearless. It doesn't mean one, you know, doesn't lock their doors at night, but I mean. Uh, one feels the loving shelter of Krishna. So it is exactly noon here in uh, this time zone. So our time's up for this week. We finished this chapter. We didn't get into the next chapter. So you can figure out the homework assignment for next week. And uh, we will be ending the Prahlad Maharaj pastime with this next chapter. The uh, Because here on the, it's interesting, you know, Lord Nishingadev is only, uh, is only mentioned briefly in this part of the Bhagavatam. Um, the main focus is, is on his devotee, Pallad Maharaj. Yeah. So we'll see you next week. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you.